The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, considering the future of OEHS with AIHCE 23's keynote speaker, Dr. Poppy Crum. Welcome to another episode of Healthier Workplaces. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Media and your host for this program from AIHA. Stay with us. The newly updated sixth edition of the Noise Manual is available at the AIHA University Bookstore. This edition contains new chapters on impulse noise, ototoxicants, fit testing, and community exposure. Noise is an omnipresent hazard for industrial hygienists and OEHS practitioners. Find the right information with this valuable resource for noise prevention and more in your workplace and communities. Update your noise knowledge today. Available in print and digital formats. Visit AIHA.org noise for a free preview. Again, live from AIHCE 2023 in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Bob Krell, the host of the Healthier Workplaces show, and uh, welcome, welcome back. Um, really excited with us. We uh, have a special live, uh, live interview, live discussion with our keynote from this morning, Dr. Poppy Crum, and uh, also joining us is Manji uh, Danga. Yes. I am so excited right now. I, I, I'm sure you all, if you're, if you're looking at this or hearing this, I'm telling you that I'm pumped. And I'm pumped because the person to my right did a keynote this morning, uh, the best keynote I've heard at a conference. you know. And uh, if, you, if you missed it, hopefully you can get this to me virtually. Um, if, uh, if you don't know who this person is, you can look him up. But uh, Dr. Poppy Crum is here, and we're, we're so excited to have her. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Manji, <laughs> and uh, Bob for having me here too. And uh, it has been a really fun morning, I have to say. Uh, we just came out of the question and answer period and had some of the like the, the domain expertise merged with these beautiful philosophical theory theoretical questions, but with like how do we action on things now? And I think that's the really exciting part that happens here. And you, you've got really br a brilliant constituents in this organization. So. And I think that, you know, there's a lot we can learn from the way you presented because you showed us science, you showed us research, you talked about research, <laughs> but you showed us and talked about things that are tangible today, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not necessarily talking about things that are to come. And I think that's what got people excited to say what she's presented this, this, you know, these, you know, looking at these devices or these approaches and then how we circle it back to, uh, to workers. One question I had for you, by the way, is I see the work that you're doing as a liberation for that user, right? So, and I wonder for that worker too, because today if I go and I do my industrial hygiene thing, I tend to put a sensor on a person and then later on I write this report, right? And what I heard from you was we can get to a place where that worker is getting that information maybe instantaneous, if you will, and maybe they have the ability and you know the authority to perhaps start making interventions in their workplace while that stuff is going on. And that's my ideal because many times I feel guilty about, oh, I have to get on a plane and then start doing these things. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's a place we can get to, maybe not too far away from now. Uh, absolutely. You know, and I 
the it's the pro the idea of forecasting and f where what kind of intelligence we gain through this what's really been um, I'd say a revolution in the last few years mm -hmm. with regard to so many of these sensors whether it's on body or in our environments and uh, the, you know, enabling continuous data mm -hmm. and you know continuous data that whether it's uh, 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 you know, blood glu glucose or electroencephalograms or even you know eye gaze mm -hmm. all of the this information in its right form and its interoperable intelligence becomes a really rich picture that there's a lot of opportunity for forecasting you know the example <laughs> when i was talking introducing digital twins in the, my talk i mm -hmm. was showing my re the reef tank i have in my house and you know the transformation of a healthy ecosystem where we go from you know where it started where i was you know reactive sampling you know measuring things at the beginning measuring things with very crude in you know in points of intersection and limited you know points of human interaction where you know frankly it was unsuccessful until the point now where i've got everything digitized i have continuous data across you know a, a number of elements that let me have a very dynamic optimized you know, ecosystem and um you know i i use the word I, uh, one thing, uh, you know, it's, it's how do we make an effective ecosystem with mm -hmm. this data that lets us forecast to health and safety? And the things you talk just mentioned with where uh, you can be proactive instead of reactive because of that data and have interventions that are faster, quicker, before there's y so, so that you're enabling instead of fixing. Yes. Is uh, a huge capability. And by the way, on her presentation, she had this slide with the aquarium and then a bunch of dashboards <laughs> <laughs> she had created. With all you know, with with all the variables, I think I th that's great. And now, just like that aquarium, I think we could take some of these information and too not also overwhelm these users and workers and give them the information that they need. Because sometimes I feel too, in our communication as scientists, we we overwhelm and come. We write a report, or we have a dashboard with five things when maybe the worker just needs the one thing. Yeah. So when it comes to the communication of these, uh, whether technologies of these outputs. It should be really important how we think about, you know, uh, visualizing those, or is it an maybe it's an audio message instead of a dashboard? Maybe it's a, is, you know, how, how have you thought about those communication mediums or, or oh, manners? That's, that's you know? a beautiful question, and you know, because the user experience with data is is frankly everything. Um, you know, it, it, an autonomous system is one thing, but we're human. And human brains don't need all the data. We need the right data weighted mm -hmm. in the most effective ways because that's going to shape how we behave. It's going to shape our reactions. It's going to shape the insights we have. Um, and visual, is, you know, I often talk about embodied UX. Mm -hmm. And embodied UX for me is when you start thinking about not just I'm going to put a visual display in front of people in the same standard way I've always done that. Instead, it's like, wait, I've got other faculties. I've got other ways of mm -hmm. sensing data and information. Sometimes sound is the best, you know, is it... Is it speech? Is it auditory cues? Is there sonification of information in different environments that makes me, you know, intersects with what I see so that I, you know, can deliver different information? I mean, we're at a point where you can deliver audio in a, wor you know, in a construction environment that's associated with, you know, safety zones. Yes. Or you can, uh, because it can be tagged with GPS data, right? And, you know, you have that information associated with when you hear a particular sound or when you how you connect to experts and information at a particular location based on some sort of digital representation of information or sonifying, you know, because 
when you think about augmenting data into these environments so that people can be reactive about potential hazards and things, it's not, you know, a visual display is not always the best way to have the right visceral, you know, augmentation of human capability where you're going to get the reaction you want. Because what you want is for someone to react in a way that's going to, you know, be the most helpful for it. I'll tell you a story at, at, at work. So I, I was, you know, I was reading about this thing called natural language processing, and so I was like, oh, okay, this is this sounds really fancy. And so I got a bunch of behavior-based observations that, that were being inputted by workers, right? Yeah. They're typing them in, and so I looked at these data and I was playing with them, and I thought, and and it wasn't really working. So I thought, is it me? And what I realized is uh, they were writing in incomplete sentences, and you know, grammar was off and things like that. So mm -hmm. I came to my coworker and I said. We need to teach people to write incomplete sentences because this language thing is not going to pick up unless these people change the way they do things. <laughs> and then what she told me is, you're talking about a segment of workers who actually don't log into computers that much. Yeah. They don't write email. So this idea of trying to change the human to adapt to the technology is going to fail. They don't write email. So they're not going to write complete sentences such that you can teach this model to understand what it is they're saying. And so then we talked about, okay, maybe we do a voice to text. And but then I was like, oh, the environment is too noisy. So, are maybe thinking from a human factors perspective, are are there times where we actually try to fit the human to the technology and not the way around? Because that that's what I was trying to do, and it seems like sometimes we do that based on how devices are designed or how algorithm wor works or things like that. Uh, I we, we do that all the time, and we do that based on our workflows and the systems that exist, and we you know, try to make perturbations in one dimension that we can, and there's no question about that. Um, it, 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 that's, so, so there, there are different things. There, technology can actually, so, so I, I remembered my thought that okay. I wanted to use, which <laughs> ties back <coughs> into this. Uh -huh. uh, humor me for a moment, but where you were talking about the importance of visualization. In yeah. my talk, one of the examples when I, you know, I'm introducing people to digital twins, which isn't new, it's the concept's been around a long time, it's just, you know, how much data, the resolution, the sampling, the dimensionality of that's changed. <laughs> but it, and it comes back to this question that you said, but with the importance of visualization is, you know, like air traffic controllers. Mm. Imagine if an air traffic controller were watching an Excel sheet, mm. right? Or were watching something that didn't have, you know, the spatial represent, mm -hmm. you know, or had spatial representations that were not intuitive, that they hadn't, you know, you know, that the mental representation, the reactions, the decisions they would be making would be very different, right? Yes. Yes. And so that digital physic that physic digitization of physical information and how it's represented to a user. Now, you know, we're in a different place where we think about say, you know, th that data has other dimensions yes. that are optimized for as well. And it changes again, it's how do you create a system that can understand as effectively as possible, not as efficiently, mm -hmm. effectively as possible, mm -hmm. you know, a better outcome. And when you say, how do, do we always take data and you know, systems and try to change it, change the user? I mean, we, we have a history of doing that for sure. I can think about not only just, uh, you know, trying to fit that human being to the technology, but also um, how we communicate what it is we're doing with that sensor. So Bob, I mean, say, Bob, wear this thing. And they say, well, why do I got to wear it? Well, because I need information. Mm. Okay, about what? Are you exactly. recording me? Um, <coughs> you know, things like that. So I, I would say not only is maybe sometimes it's a, it's a physical thing where we're trying to force somebody to wear something that doesn't fit, but think also introducing something new into their ecosystem that they're not used to is its own sort of, um, you know, 
compelling, you know, maybe you're, 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 you're forcing them to do something yeah, within their space that's not normal. Yeah, invasive. Yeah, you know, exactly. You right. know, especially workers, because they, I, I feel like when it's, it's, when it's maybe Alexa in my work, I, I, when I'm cooking and I'm telling her to play music, she's on my side. <laughs> but if I'm in the workplace and they're asking me to wear stuff, why, you know? Well, <laughs> I mean, that's a social context yeah. of how it affects, uh, when you, and, and I, when you give someone a technology, a sensor, or something to wear, it impacts how they behave. Mm -hmm. Now, it impacts in different ways. It might impact, it, you know, if it's a constraining sensor, if it's something that causes a little more weight on my arm or something, yeah. it causes me to move differently. You know, it causes me to shit, you know, make decisions with even just subtle motions in my body. If it's something that I know is recording me, it changes mm -hmm. what I might say, mm -hmm. it changes how I might interact. And so your data becomes biased, it becomes shaped in different directions. Um, you know, one of the things, and I talked about this, I teach a class, my class at Stanford is really focused on, um, uh, it's, it's neuroplasticity in video gaming, but it's developed games, but it's less about developing video games, but it's more about thinking of what is the right, when you engage with a technology in any way it shapes your brain, it's going to shape it in any sort of learning or use of a technology causes our brains to be different behaviorally, but at the sensory level, in how we engage with it, but then also at the social level. Mm -hmm. So if I you know, am going to create a game where I want someone to be learning about a body movement or you know, they, they, they I'm trying to teach uh, something in a game, maybe it's empathy or maybe it's you know, understanding a spatial environment and I have them working on a computer screen on a keyboard with mm -hmm. left and right arrows, that's not a very embodied exchange, mm -hmm. right? So you want to try to take what is the thing I want to learn? How do I make that in movements that are going to translate? What are the implications going to be? How am I going to share that? Um, and then distilling it back to because I did this, mm -hmm. what else happened? Mm -hmm. Right? What else have I altered in terms of how people engaged with that technology or with each other? And there's, you know, I think there's a lot of things that happen in those spaces, but any time that you go in those directions. Interesting. I, I gotta. Can you clarify for me, digital twin? This idea of a digital twin. Yeah. Because um, I've, I've heard it from a machine perspective. Let's say we have this pump and we create a digital twin of this pump and sort of run it to maximum things like that. But do I have this concept right? Can I create a digital twin of a worker, such that let's say we have a building design and I can have this worker digital twin walk through this space because you gave me the CAD drawing of your building to see maybe yeah. where your pipes are and would they hit it or where the platforms are. W would that be a concept that fits within the digital twin? Or is rather, is how am I looking it at it? Absolutely. Aligned with that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I look at, um, you know, you've got, you've got companies right now that in a building are really focused on uh, fine asset management tracking right mm -hmm. in terms of a digital twin so whether it's a construction site or it's a hospital um, you know having you know the physical devices the ones that move the ones that are static actually have you know you can have sensors that are or you it that are very you know uh, low high acuity in you know typically GPS denied in GNSS denied environments because through other technologies so you're gaining this like rich insight to how things move in that space well, the one you care the most about is now the human and human, op, you know, human efficient efficiency. Let's say effectiveness, mm -hmm. but also just knowledge for knowing where things are and, and being able to track that building. 
Um, the digital twin in that space is for the health of the environment, whether it's you know intersecting with even HVAC systems and operationalizing the I I environmental space, but it's also in the at the hospital level mm -hmm. that efficient that intelligence of you know, movement, asset tracking between individuals and devices ends up saving time for patients. It ends up saving time for clinicians. It ends up to a higher quality of experience for both the patient and, you know, less overtime and more effectiveness, you know, for the, you know, for the workflow in that space. And what kind of, what kind of data, you know, do you need to create a digital twin? So is it, let's say, Bob here and I put a sensor on him for a year that collects enough information such that we can now move to the construction of a digital tool. Like how you know, <laughs> high level, how level, how does it? Because I'm, I'm assuming you, you need, you need a lot of data to yeah. to replicate that twin, right? Or am I well, I mean, okay. So I think the for for me, one mm -hmm. of the important things is to say, okay, we, we don't need to, you know, we, we don't need to solve for the the, the future state mm -hmm. of things that honestly we, we haven't even mapped out like we need to we haven't figured out the way all the ways that we can protect mm -hmm. this data as we go forward what okay. we want what you want to think about in wrapping your mind around where's a digital twin effective for me is it can even you know again we don't want all the data you want the data that's relevant to yes. make your you know your world what more efficient more effective more successful, improve the quality of product, quality of output, quality of forecasting that you can bring to your environment and to your successes. So, you know, in a workplace, do you need a digital twin of someone's body? Probably, you know, that probably not, right? Do you need a digital twin of, you know, how people behave, you know, in an anonymous way in an environment? That could be helpful. Mm -hmm. Now, does having a little bit of data it depends on the data, True. right? Do I need, it, it depends on the dimensionality of that data. What you need is, you know, a little bit of data can go a long ways if it's the right data. And, you know, I use the example of in a factory, you know, I think digital twin Microsoft Azure's, you know, prototype example is, you know, a factory where you've got, you know, factory lines that have, you know, temperature and humidity. And you've got product that came off of that somewhere that had, you know, had mold. You know, historically, you would have to pull all of that product. You'd be in a place where you wouldn't have control over that mm -hmm. environment. But just having the humidity sensors, you can identify one particular production line that was two degrees off mm -hmm. and a point on it. So you need to find the, you know, track the product that came off of that line. And, you know, do you need, you know, 20 years of uh, 10 years of data to drive that? No, you yeah. just need to enough to know that there's a differential and that something was off. That type of case, though, is a more of a real-time situation, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So, yes. so I'm assuming that the feedback that you're looking for, or as far as what you're displaying, is going to be really um, specific to the individuals, right? I mean, it that's it the thing. Giving, right. as you mentioned, you know, too much data is, mm -hmm. is not going to be actionable. Uh, so you need to tailor right. it toward. So in absolutely. And in, uh, I, I talked about this a tiny bit in my talk, but it's really more like the start of something, is when you think about the way all of, you know, there's, I like to umbrella everything under what I call situational intelligence. And, okay. and you know, in the military, you there the, it's a very common term to say situational awareness. And situational awareness is, you know, it, it breaks down into sort of three components. It's like perception, comprehension, and insight. And perception being first, you know, the, the point at which you have, like, 
your your how fast your brain and the system, whether it's an autonomous system or a human system, can take in key information about the environment, perceive it, comprehend it, and have insights to action on it, mm -hmm. right? That's situational awareness. And it is foundational, I believe, to every part of our lives, in work, in home, in you know, my yeah. interactions walking down the street. It's, you know, it's a term we should just thrive on in term and in especially in terms of how our technology fits into those boxes what it's doing because you're perceiving as the sensors then you know sort of semantic contextual intelligence domain intelligence around that is the sort of comprehension but what we do with that mm -hmm. you know that's where we start getting into machine learning and ai applications for insights around that data and um when i think about the situational intelligence umbrella that sits over that you're in a place where you know the digitization of the physical world gets me into my situational awareness. And now mm -hmm. I'm building these sort of loops where I can act on that data and have continuous insight mm -hmm. that lets me drive, you know, drive from that. But it's only effective in terms of my brain, I my system, if, if those semantic, that the, the classes, yeah. the, the featurizations, the analytics on that data is simple and, uh, you know, weighted and optimized for me to make the best decisions mm -hmm. possible, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where the real value comes in. And um, it can be real time. I think the big shift is how do you go from a building environment mm -hmm. where it was, you know, here's here's a digitization of an environment. You know, you talked about the pump. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at, you know, there's digital twins of manufacturing plants with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the car manufacturing it has, you know, done a lot with, you know, there's partnerships with Unity and with uh, others to do digital twins of um, these, these designs. But a digitization, mm -hmm. even if it's like a one-to-one -one digitization of a physical system, a physical environment, for me is not what I mean by a digital twin. That's a digital representation. It's how do we build the dynamic, you know, okay. intelligence and life and insights of data coming off of that into that system, so that there is information being gleaned, information being learned, information that that digitization feels like a true partnership that's augmenting my sensory capabilities and not just a place where I might, you know, put a put a. Uh, a post-it note really or a like sticker that. in my brain. Because <laughs> the digitization is just a, it's a digital representation of that ideal, let's say it's a yeah. building. Right. But what you're describing is now that we've built that building, is it really operating the way we want it to? Or yeah. is it as cool or hot as we want it to? Because you're bringing that, that, you know, like, right, you more can realistic, if you will. In that building, I can, <coughs> you know, everything to do with temperature, with lighting, with, you know, movement of humans in the space and everything. That, that those are all ways of describing it that are part of the digital twin, but then there's also optimization and effectiveness and things and how you can improve, you know, that become, I I and how that building, you know, interacts with the, when I say interacts, it's you know, the, the many different parameters that it can change, whether it is temperature, whether it is airflow, whether it is heating, I mean, well, I said heating, but whether it is also, you know, things like sound and lighting, you know, to, change that that impact how the, the the individuals are successful in those spaces and, uh, and how wonderful would it be if we think about these things ahead of time rather than after <laughs> and think about everybody or the people that are going to be in that building so if we look at a building we say oh, okay people are going to be here you know for eight hours but if maybe there's a crew that's there much longer or there's a folks in the kitchen versus the offices and yeah. thinking about well, all those people you I know within that space is 
Absolutely. And there's, I mean, it, it very doable. And, you know, the things that there's the success of the human, but the success of the human is dependent on things like lighting and light bulbs and things running out. And, you know, and you have all of those dynamics in your system that are then forecasting and predictive so that work orders are effectively, you know, that that those are a, can be AI generated for mm -hmm. where things are going to fail, where things need to be replaced before they happen, before yes. you have safety issues, before you have, you know, the human the, the human impacted by something that's part of the building infrastructure or part of the building, you know, um, uh, success. But one thing I'd say is uh, I, I is is embrace the polarity. Okay. Okay. And what I mean by that is right now there are. Uh, I, I, so, so a couple folks I know I have a lot of respect for. I, they had a, a movie, a film called uh, 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 "Social Dilemma." It was on yes. Netflix. Mm -hmm. I, I was in. I'm in the credits. You'll see me there. <laughs> 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 I'm actually. I, I'm very technology optimist. You know that probably from listening yes. to me. But doesn't mean I don't think a lot and, and you know worry a lot and worry, but worry hopefully action. I try to like think about actions, and I've got a lot I'm thinking about right now for how we protect against you know technology abuse in, in areas and um, but the folks who put did that film are people I know and they're one of them is Tristan Harris and Aza Raskin and a they have um, if you google their names they did a it will terrify the heck out of you I just <laughs> okay. I'm just telling you this right now it's like about the existential threats of AI and it, it's a you've know, got some great examples of things just going really really badly yeah that's potentially so yeah I mean that's there yeah, yeah. so but uh, when I say embrace the polarity, yeah. as I'm like, go listen to that. Get okay. really scared. Okay. But then come back and think about, okay, where are the you ha Don't get really scared. Sorry, don't do that. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But you, you've got to hear it because, sorry, I'm, I'm probably my mic a little too <laughs> no, close good, to my yeah, mouth. But you, I, I, it is important to anticipate mm -hmm. these things to, and not be, you know, don't just throw them out. Like, understand why these things might happen uh -huh. or where the biggest vulnerabilities are. And, and also there's no question there's great opportunities and things that need to happen to protect against one, which it can happen uh, that then, so the polarity is go that direction, but also go the direction of where generative AI, where some of these opportunities, how impactful they are going to be and mm -hmm. can be and are already, I mean, from a generative AI point, there are, there are a lot of obvious applications in fairly, I'd say, mundane areas that open up great capability mm -hmm. for better data, for improved interactions with um, technology and uh, workflows that, that are real. I, you know, it doesn't mean that you're also embracing the other polarity, but mm -hmm. you're understanding, okay, this is what I think has lots of utility in my world. Yes. Just, and, and I, I want to understand that. These are some really big theoretical questions and examples that, you know, are, are, are <laughs> we, we've got to understand. I mean, not understand, but we need to protect against. There needs to be some guardrails. Yes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Clearly. And it's, that's where we're at today is, you know, and I talked a lot about healthcare and things, and there's no question, there's just, you know, I, I, it, we have got to move forward on some of these things. And, but, but I want, I want, you know, I, I, in my talk, I spent a lot of time uh, on, you know, some of the potential for, you know, what I call the two biggest phenotypes of our, you know, of future healthcare, which are voice and 
uh, breath. So mm -hmm. the digital exhaust, you know, the, the, the chemical composition of my breath is a big indicator for cancer, for multiple sclerosis, for also, you know, quality of life, emotional well-being. But the dynamics of my speech, mm -hmm. um, we, we, we there's been huge, uh, I'd say, you know, advancements in academia and in industry in the last five years in terms of, you know, speech diagnostics, being able to predict very quickly likelihood of psychosis, neurodegeneration, depression, you know, in ways that are, you know, scalable, accessible, low cost. Uh, you're looking at um, personalized medicine in a place where it is accessible. Um, I, I lost both my parents to different types of cancer in places where they were um, a large part of their quality of life and, and, and things happened in the end because of treatment that was very domain specific and not holistic. Like there isn't enough interoperability in terms of how, what we know about one system and that treatment impacts the other. And I mean, there is a lot known, but it doesn't, it's very, not very scalable and doesn't reach it, the broad populations in the ways it needs to. And these types of technologies are there. They're, they're really capable, even getting drug treatments for things like, um, um, so for example, uh, you know, the predictors in speech uh, for neurodegeneration and Alzheimer's are, are really quite um, uh, uh, successful. Mm -hmm. And yet the uh, NIH doesn't use speech diagnostics in any way mm -hmm. because the FDA doesn't recognize them and, and needs, you know, needs um, plasma screenings. Yet, you know, this is a these are ways to reach people, to reach people that don't know they can benefit, which ends up impacting different demographics more than others. And, you know, we've got to embrace these things and uh, find the route forward as opposed to being very concerned about the other polarity only. And so that's where I'm trying to get to is there's big opportunities to move us forward that we want to embrace, but we've got to build the infrastructure to allow us to protect against them. Dr. Crum, this has been a really wonderful conversation and the audience, I think one thing I really like about her is how she communicates. Many of us are scientists, but you do such a good job of communicating the science and making it relevant. I think uh, that should be equally celebrated. So thank you for that. So yeah, so that's we're out of time, unfortunately. It, it always goes too fast, <laughs> but I'd like to again thank Dr. Poppy Crum for joining us here in uh, a little after session after your uh, keynote this morning. And Mwangi uh, Daga, thanks thanks for coming in here and moderating this. That yes. was great. Uh, we're, we'll continue our coverage uh, here live from AIHCE 2023 in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Bob Krell, I'm the, the host of the Healthier Workplaces show for AIHA, and we're going to keep coming back to you uh, throughout the day and throughout the week here. So stay tuned, and we'll uh, see you soon. So that's our show for this week. We'll be back again with another episode of Healthier Workplaces. Until next time, I'm Bob Krell. Stay healthy.